another exciting edition of the School Safety Free Period. I'm Amanda Klinger. And I'm Dr. Amy Klinger, and it's 2020. <laughs> and uh, even in 2020, we are the Educators School Safety Network. We are a national nonprofit organization, and we provide school safety training and resources and technical assistance to schools throughout the United States and Canada. And even in 2020, uh, we're still going to take a little bit of a break from our very serious, uh, not as freewheeling time to have our freewheeling time, the school safety free period. Now, I think we have a little bit of a different theme this week. Is that right? Freewheeling, not freewheeling. Uh, well, no, not necessarily. I mean, every time we do the school safety free period, we kind of talk a little bit informally about mm -hmm. things. Um, and I think that's what we're going to do today. Although, typically, the setup of the school safety free period is I bring you some interesting, shocking, ridiculous, um, or very important news. Um, something that's happened and that's very timely, and we take a look at that. And then we always try to have some takeaways and some ideas and strategies um, for our listeners. So today, I'm kind of winding up with uh, 2019, even though it's only mid-year in the school year. Um, we thought we'd keep with the awards season sort of theme and talk a little bit about some of the best of the best that we've seen um, in 2019 and kind of the worst of the worst and maybe talk a little bit about what this new year brings and how are we looking at keeping kids safe for the remainder of the school year. Now, we don't have a uh, snappy name for the awards. Is that no, correct? We do not, no. and we don't even have an award. So there is nothing I can present to anyone. So it's a very ephemeral notion of awards. season. <laughs> Which is probably okay, because I'm not sure that you want to be the recipient of the, oh my gosh, this is so ridiculous kind of award. That's true. Um, so I think we're gonna use, it's, it's kind of a loose theme. We won't get too too caught into the theme. So it's more like but, toasts and roasts. Yeah, well, but, but it is important to note that there are some things that were occurring in 2019 that we were encouraged by. And there were some things that were happening in 2019 that are sort of emerging trends that aren't necessarily positive. And so I think it's important for us to keep an eye on what's happening in school safety because while we've been looking at school shootings, um, as an example, for a very long time since Columbine, more than 20 years, we also have to acknowledge that the world of school safety evolves and that there are trends and things that happen and things that are different that are not revolving just around active shooter that really are important for us to look at when we're looking at this all hazards kind of comprehensive approach to safety. So that's kind of think the intent today is to sort of bring us around to there's more going on in school safety than we might think. Yeah, I, I think that's a really important point that, you know, this field changes and this field evolves. And the issues that were at top of mind for folks a couple of years ago, those ebbs and, the, and those, you know, there's an ebb and a flow to that. And But I think it's important for us to make sure that we always return to that same core of what are we really doing and what is our top priority and what are we really trying to accomplish? And maybe our top priority is not where we think it should be. So kind of, I think the overall takeaway from this is maybe you're going to be able to, as our as our viewers, um, generate some New Year's resolutions. What would be the New Year's resolutions you would make for your school in terms of safety? So we'll talk a little bit about that. So I'm going to launch right in with one of the things that I find to be um, the most concerning in 2019. And I don't know if it's, you know, to be really honest, I don't know if it's because maybe we as 
a society or educational culture haven't been paying this close attention to this. Maybe this is something that's been coming, or maybe this is something that is uh, is really this kind of significant uptick. Um, and it's a little bit touchy because, you know, I, and I've said this in previous podcasts, if you're, if you're a regular listener, you know, there's no way I would ever want to do this job. And I'm talking about being a bus driver, um, an incredibly difficult job and lots of wonderful folks doing it. So let's set the stage with we are not maligning an entire population of folks, but we are pointing out, or at least I have really been struck in 2019 by the number of bus accidents, but also by the number of instances specifically where there is an incident that occurs because the bus driver has made either a poor judgment call or has been impaired or something. And, and we've talked about those this year. We have mm -hmm. seen the the most ridiculous one, if we're going <coughs> to have a winner, um, where we have a bus driver who allows the kids to drive. An 11-year-old was driving, a 16-year-old was driving, allowed the kids to drive the bus to their house while they're filming it on a cell phone, which just sort of is incredible to think well, isn't, about. Isn't like, isn't there like a thing out west where you can go and you can like pay a certain amount and they let you drive the giant dump trucks and they let you drive the construction equipment? So yes. it's like the same thing. Yes, yes. Yeah. Except a terrible idea, but yes, yeah. um, those things, good ideas for adults in a controlled environment, kids behind the wheel of a bus, bad idea. Um, you know, I don't think there is a program where they allow 11 year olds to come into a surgical suite and take out an appendix just to see, hey, maybe this will help you aspire to be a surgeon. Um, so no, I don't think that's happening that's in many other places. So not a great idea. Um, you know, and uh, we teach kids to drive, you know, we allow our kids to drive, you know, my kids, we, when they first were getting ready to drive, we drove in the cemetery, but I don't recall ever putting them in charge of a massive vehicle with lots of kids on board. Don't think that that happened. Yeah. So we've got that one that's kind of ridiculous, but yet a little bit scary and moving all the way through a spectrum of a number of instances where the driver was impaired. Um, either it was a, an alcohol situation or a substance abuse situation. And also, you know, th and that really is a concern when you think of the amount of times that we have a full bus full of kids um, and all of the things that are happening and the many, many things that a bus driver needs to be able to do simultaneously. Yeah. So any sort of impairment um, is just, to me, really chilling to, to be concerned about that. And then also we've, we've seen ones where not necessarily there was an impairment, but that the driver clearly was not adequately trained or was not adequately evaluated in terms of actually how good they were at their job. Um, the one in particular was when there was a minor accident and the, the driver removed all the kids off the bus and left them on the side of the road and took off. Um, sort of a hit and run with the bus, but leaving the kids in such an incredibly vulnerable position. Um, and, and I think we need to talk not just about the fact that those things happen, but to look at why, you know, what what's happening that those things are occurring. Yeah. And clearly we have issues with subcontractors. We have issues with substitute drivers. We have issues where a school district is subcontracting transportation needs. We have instances where there isn't adequate training, but there's an awful lot of those sort of things that are occurring that really are concerning to us. And, and I think yeah, on that at all. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's a, a huge concern about legal liability for things like this. And so I don't think I really need to, to go to belabor that point, because 
clearly that opens a district up to a lot of legal liability when you have things like that happening. But I think what's maybe more important, um, and I think really a lesson that can kind of be extrapolated out from this, is I think it speaks to some of the potential problems when we have things that are so segmented. Um, and I think what is the commonality, and you know, you talked about bus drivers, but we also see this a lot with paraprofessionals, with people who are uh, playground aides, with people who are working in the cafeteria, that there we have this hierarchy uh, in schools, whether we intend to do that or not, where we have teachers are doing this and this is their job, and other folks are doing these things and those are those jobs. And when we don't approach that as a unified, there's <clears throat> not a unified approach that Everyone has a responsibility for school safety, <clears throat> and everyone is part of our educational community, and everyone has to be on the same page, um, whether it's about training or whether it's about what we're trying to accomplish. I think when we allow things to be so segmented or striated, I think that's when we start to run into problems. Yeah, and, and does everyone have the training that they need, which is clearly a piece, but there's also an evaluation piece. And a lot of the work that we do, we oftentimes see, especially in support staff positions, where they're not given adequate training, but they're also not adequately evaluated. It's mm -hmm. sort of a benign neglect of, well, we haven't had any complaints, so it must be okay what's happening there. And then you add to that a larger organization where you have kind of a revolving door of people who may be transferring from position to position or mm -hmm. they do this part time and then someone else does it the other time. And then you're beginning to lose continuity. You're beginning to lose ownership of the position. You're beginning to lose an awareness of who's doing that and how and what can we you know, how can we make sure that they're being supported? Mm -hmm. But also, how can we make sure they're being adequately evaluated? And it's a slippery slope. I mean, I think sometimes school administrators, um, we sort of forget the potential impact, the catastrophic potential impact mm -hmm. of some of those individuals who are, are making you know, poor judgments or doing things that, that really go awry. And I think that's a, that, that's a really critical one that I think um, we need to start getting back to because our mm -hmm. parents... Um, you know, we've seen this uptick in parents bringing kids to school and we complain about, oh, well, you know, we've got traffic problems and all these other things. Maybe we need to think about why, you know, mm -hmm. is there a lack of trust? Is there a concern? Um, what's happening in our transportation um, sort of segments and how can we support what's going on? Yeah. And, you know, we don't talk a ton about organizational leadership, but some of that is a is an issue of how do we run this organization? If we're talking about a school district, for example, how do we run this organization as a whole? And obviously people have different job functions, but we need to make sure that we're on the same page with some of these core functions. So if you collect a paycheck from this institution, some of these core functions, everyone has to know it, whether you're going from job to job or school to school or role to role, these are the things that we, we do on a fundamental basic level. And Keep in mind, you know, that in, in that sense, an educational institution is fundamentally different than a corporation where people in this, you know, wing of the company maybe don't need to know a lot of the same things in the other wing. But everyone here is supporting this mission of educating kids. And so even if you don't interface with kids on a daily basis, what if there is a crisis situation and kids and you all of a sudden are now in charge of kids. Yeah, um, yeah. And that is, that's very different than in a corporate environment where you wouldn't be in charge of other employees at a, at a corporation. So I think that's really important to, to kind of keep that in, in mind. Yeah, and there's a lot of issues associated with that in terms of, you know, like you said, people performing things outside of their job <clears throat> function or 
in a crisis event, finding themselves doing things that they normally uh, wouldn't have to do. But I also think it's really important to, to understand the potential that we're not capturing. When we have a bus driver who is hearing all the conversations that are going on, and we have a playground aide who is watching the way the kids interact on the playground, and we have a cafeteria monitor who is hearing the discussion or who's sitting with whom or what trouble is brewing where, that's a resource that we are not necessarily taking advantage of. If we're just saying, the only thing that I know is what happened in my classroom between nine and 12. Um, and so I think that's a really important piece. Um, so there's kind of that sort of worst of the worst, but also the potential for that to be a really significant um, sort of piece. So that was my first one. My second one in terms of worst of the worst, probably. So my worst of the worst in terms of this bus driver situation was the letting the kids drive the bus or drunk driving the bus. I'm not sure which one. But my worst of the worst in terms of the drill sort of situation is the one that occurred this spring that we've talked about a number of times. Um, and that was the situation um, where we had that very realistic active shooter drill where teachers were, you know, being shot execution style with a with an airsoft gun and and they were simulating the shooting. And we talked a lot about it at the time. Yeah. Um, but Amanda, you and I have had some interesting conversations about the whole notion of that power dynamic between law enforcement and educators and how as educators, you know, we are rule followers. We need to teach our kids to follow rules. We mm -hmm. teach our kids to be respectful. We teach our kids that hierarchy of authority. And, you know, this particular drill gone wrong really sort of, I mean, we talked about it a little bit at the time, really sort of um, illustrates that dynamic of it's very difficult for educators to say to someone like a law enforcement guy, wait a minute, I don't want to do this. This is wrong. What are you doing? Don't. And that's a very difficult uh, dynamic. There's there certainly gender concerns as well, but there's also that sort of power and authority. And the more we have SROs and law enforcement presence in our schools, the more that becomes something we need to think about. How do we build a collaborative environment with law enforcement that is collaborative, not top down? And that's not a knock on law enforcement or teachers. It's just asking us to reflect on that dynamic in our schools. Well, and I think the next step to sort of think about that, um, whether there is a, a law enforcement versus civilian power dynamic at play or whether there's a gendered power dynamic at play, I think the next question to then ask is anything that we're undertaking in the name of school safety, does this really make sense? Does it really accomplish what we're trying to accomplish? And have we thought about what are the consequences? Intended yeah, why do you think there unintended? is this drive to have these ultra-realistic drills? Why do you think that is? I mean, my, my really frank answer is because they are designed by law enforcement and security and military professionals. And that is the way that it has been proven, proven to train people in those environments. Um, they, I mean, yeah. those, they, are, they are called school safety training. They are called school safety drills. The only people who are calling it school safety professional development, an educational term, is us. So I, I think that's really right. the reason. There, but I think there's something more there. I think there's also this, this misnomer or this false assumption that if you really want to do a good job at school safety training, you have to put them through their paces. You have to make them feel it. Right. I feel like there is a what kind of an orientation is that? that? Does that happen at the ASCD conference when we're talking about English language learners that we say we're going to we're going to put teachers in a room and we're going to really make them feel what it's like to not be a native speaker of the language. That's not really typically the way that education folks 
approach education problems. But yet there is a there is a certain amount of power in getting people to understand the what we're trying to accomplish and that muscle memory of I know this is what I need to do. But I just think it's interesting how quickly it goes off the rails and how quickly it goes off the track to if I want you to understand how a tactical response goes, I can't just talk about it and then I need to show you it. And then I need to make you feel it. And then I need to make you scared of it. And then I need to make you understand what the sounds of gunshots look like. Then I need to make you understand what it looks like to have kids laying in the hallway. And it just seems to sort of balloon out of control with this sort of idea that the only way to build capacity into folks is to sort of shove them into the deep end and see what happens. Was that a question or a comment? <laughs> both. I mean, I don't know. I just think it's interesting. And, and you know, and, and you be. and I, we've both seen so many of these where it just goes wrong. And I just had a conversation a week ago with someone who was so well-meaning about their desire to train that they, mm -hmm. they felt that the next step was we are going to do a drill. We've got to do a drill. We've got to do something where people are running around and they're hearing this and they're and I said, taking a step back, have you trained everyone? And they said, well, no, we haven't done the training yet. What we wanna do, and I said, let me stop you right there. Why are we drilling untrained people? Mm -hmm. um, so it's just fascinating that we all sort of, that, that so many people kind of wander into that assumption. And I would just sort of push back a little bit, even in your explanation of, okay, well, we should do this, and then we'll do this, and then we'll do this. Even that, you, as an educator, were looking at it through a framework of how you would scaffold a lesson, how you would scaffold teaching a, a concept. I don't think oftentimes when some of these things happen, especially when you have drills and training and things that go awry, I don't know that they are necessarily designed in that same way. Um, yeah. And, you know, that... And if we say, you know, oh, we need to, to drill people, we need to do a shock, we need to shock them, right? We need to shock them into taking this seriously. Well, have we trained them? Typically, no, there hasn't been training. Or yes, we did train them, but people don't take it seriously. Then maybe the training was ineffective. Maybe the training didn't speak to people's yeah. own skills and capacities. Maybe the training didn't speak to things that they see in their own lives. Maybe the training didn't speak to risks and hazards that the teachers see as being realistic risks and hazards that they face. And so I think obviously a lot more introspection is necessary. And then I think a lot more being strategic and specific and intentional in the things that we do as opposed to, hey, wouldn't it be cool if, it would be great if, or I read that you could do firing blanks in the hallway, then people would know as opposed to, what am I really trying to accomplish? What really are my end goals? And how do I, in an educate, through an educational lens, how do I get there? And, and I think that's an important strategy, because if we want to talk about strategies with that, it's really, I think that sort of reflective approach. But the other thing I would add to that is typically what we see with these drills gone wrong is you have one person typically who is super enthused and is driving this. Mm -hmm. And so I would encourage in our New Year's resolution sort of side of things, let's try to be more collaborative in terms mm -hmm. of we have a group that sort of says, or we have more than one person that goes, okay, wait a minute, let's and, pump the brakes. What are we trying to accomplish? And that we are being truly collaborative as opposed to 
the really enthusiastic person who maybe has a lot of expertise or at least thinks they have a lot of expertise, that person driving a discussion where everybody else goes, yes, yes, yes. When those people perhaps are not in a power position within that organization to truly dissent and to truly have a discussion that that really, you know, uh, well, and I think the other thing that goes along with this is I think oftentimes people do not understand the potential implications of a realistic drill gone wrong. Um, clearly, there's liability stuff that you can talk about. There's clear there's it's a PR nightmare. Oops, sorry, it's a PR informal, informal discussion. It's a PR nightmare in terms of the the optics of it and the way that people perceive what's happening. Mm -hmm. But then there's also, you know, the, the psychological component, the emotional trauma, the, the feeling of saying to people, see, you don't know what you're doing. See, mm -hmm. this is going to be something you're not going to be able to handle. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really short-sighted sometimes that we don't really understand the implications of, yeah, we could do this drill, but what would happen if we do it before we're actually ready to do that? And, and what exactly would we accomplish versus what would be those unintended consequences? And we've talked about that so much this year sure. of the unintended consequences of these things. Yeah. So, so there's right. that one. And then my last bad one is and not necessarily bad, but kind of the bad one is the bomb threat thing that we are seeing this continued increase and continued um, spike in bomb threats, but yet we are still not seeing the a corresponding understanding of the potential for detonations and the potential for suspicious packages. Um, I'm concerned that we've seen this increase in bomb threats since really 2013, 2014. Mm -hmm. And we are still coming at it with it's, well, just a bomb threat. And we're, I, I don't see a lot of progress being made in effectively dealing um, with those threats. What would you, what would you say to that? Uh, I mean, I think there's the, there's two concerns. There's the uh, perception concern. What are people's perceptions around bomb threats? Do people perceive that as a concern or something that they need to be addressing? And then there's the substantive, um, if we do perceive it as, a, as something we need to address, how are we actually addressing it? And I, I think that there's room for improvement uh, vast improvement on both fronts. And I think some of that I kind of can gauge, you know, is this the pulse of that? Like, is this something that people are thinking about or talking about um, based on requests that I get, that we get from media? Um, so I think what's a thing that, what I, what, like if I had to say, what was the uh, thing that I was asked most about by reporters this year, it would be monitoring social media. There has, there's been an incredible discussion quantity, maybe not quality, of should we be monitoring social media of, of students and the software and how much- Are you saying this was good? You're moving to the good trends or- No, I'm saying, I'm saying that was the discussion. I would say the biggest discussion in educational media or, or even tradi just traditional media about school safety was that question. And I would say based on our research and the concerns that you know we see in this uptick, how are we dealing with bomb threats? It at least needs to be a point of discussion. Yeah. And when's yeah. the last time a reporter asked you about that? Yeah. I mean, well, I'll bring it up whenever I can, but. I thought you were segueing into the best of the best because my best yeah. of the best <laughs> is kind of what you just said is I'm, I'm a little bit encouraged in 2019. I'm, I'm encouraged that I feel like we are beginning to, in the educational community at least, and in terms of the media, we are beginning to 
be a little more critical and a little more thoughtful and reflective of, wait a minute, why are we doing this thing? Mm -hmm. And does that really make sense? And so I am a little bit encouraged by number one, the fact that his school safety conversation seems to be ongoing a little bit more than it used to. It used yeah. to be, we had a shooting event, we had lots of coverage, nothing happened, no more discussion. And then it would sort of, you know, it had these peaks and valleys. Mm -hmm. And I do feel like while that's still the case, I do feel like there are beginning to be some very thoughtful conversations about social media monitoring, about surveillance of kids, about the trauma of, you know, super realistic lockdown drills, about should we really be teaching kids to fight a gunman? And I feel like there is beginning to be um, a more thoughtful, critical evaluation of some of our safety practices. And I think that only makes schools safer. So mm -hmm. I think that is a probably my most positive trend of 2019. Yeah. What do you, you think? Know, actually, my, I was going to say my best of the best of 2019 was it seems like there are a lot of educators going, there has to be a better way. We have yeah. to, there has to be a way that we can do what we're trying to do, keep kids safe and have it not be so terrifying for us and the kids and be so disruptive and so inappropriate. And, and I think, which is like, I think the same as what you said of your best of the best. Now, however, because I am fundamentally a pessimist, I will wrap this in a downside, which is, are those people always in positions to be making a decision? Not a lot of times, you know, I think I hear no, a lot, I hear but... a lot. From, so the question in, in 2020 is how do we make those people who are asking nuanced questions into advocates for change? If well, they're but not... just think about what it means, you know, a couple of years ago, asking that question of should it, does it really have to be like this? Do we really have to have this kind of a traumatic drill? Do I really have to subject my kids to this? Asking that question two years ago was, was, the, was tantamount to saying, oh, so you don't care about your kids. Oh, yeah. so you don't care if your kids get killed in a show. So you're not a really good educator mm -hmm. because if you were, you would just shut up and do this drill mm -hmm. and you would. And so I think there is some significant progress in educators sort of leading or beginning to lead to go, wait a minute. There is a way that we can have our cake and eat it too. We can keep our kids safe without traumatizing. We can be prepared for things without having to give up, you know, all these other things. And so I think we can, I'm we can do this that work one. without we can do this work without continuing a school to prison pipeline. That that there that there is room for nuance and there is room for things that make sense and that are based in evidence and that are not contrary to an educational mission. But I think the- But there's your New Year's resolution then. The, the, the marching orders for 2020, the marching orders for 2020 are how do we take that inquiry, that feeling of there has to be a better way that we can do this. And how do we turn that into actionable change on, on a larger scope, on a systemic level? Yeah. And out there in our listeners, there are folks who have had those thoughts, who have said there's got to be a better way, who have said we need to be prepared for more than just an active shooter event, who mm -hmm. have said I need training more than just August 20th mm -hmm. and that's it for the year. We have people who are saying all those things, who are reflecting on those things. And the encouraging thing for me in 2019 is they were saying it louder mm -hmm. and louder and more frequently. Mm -hmm. And being largely supported when they did say it. As it wasn't end. saying it and then going, you need to never say that again. It was lots of people going, you know what? 
I feel that way too. So I think we have a little bit of a groundswell going. Well, and we've had, certainly I, I know for sure among our listeners, we've had people who have said there has to be a better way and have advocated for systemic change within their organizations and have made changes. We've yeah. been involved in some of it. We've been able to help facilitate some of it. So not only do we do we know that it's possible, we've seen it. I, I've, we've well, been, we know that it's possible. I think in that change for again for our listeners out there thinking maybe that's my big resolution for 2020 know this there is an untapped number of folks in your organization or in your field or somewhere out there there is an untapped number of folks who are feeling the same way mm -hmm. but maybe aren't necessarily verbalizing that because that's what we see in the organizations that have made change mm -hmm. they sort of tentatively went well we want to look at things more than just active shooter. And then everyone else stood up and went, yay, that's exactly mm -hmm. what we want to do. So mm -hmm. I encourage people to be a little bit fearless in that respect, because I think there is a very significant undercurrent of folks who want a better way, who want more training, who want more skills and capabilities, who are not satisfied with a lockdown drill once a year yeah. who want something more and i think we need to be advocating for it and to be clear we're not saying that you know the teachers should uh you know curse out when the local law enforcement comes or to help streets come with the training we're not saying that you know you curse them out and get out of my school there is a very professional and very appropriate way to i mean that is inquiry that is the marketplace of ideas as educators as professionals we know you all are very adept at doing that, of, of going, okay, so what, what is, why are we trying to accomplish with this? And what is the goal of this? That is part of your understanding. And, and you, you know, being able to ask those thoughtful, nuanced, but still respectfully, I, I think is something that educators, I think maybe above other types of professionals, frankly, are better suited to be able to I ask those questions. There's also an underestimating happening here because what we hear a lot out in the field or what we hear from folks is, well, you know, my superintendent or we have to convince the superintendent or we have to convince the administrator or whatever. I think teachers and parents are probably the most underutilized in terms of underestimating their ability to drive school safety mm -hmm. conversations. Mm -hmm. I can think of in my time working in professional development where I would say to teachers, what do you want training in? What would you like? What, what would be meaningful for, for you? And you know, we were, were thrilled to get feedback from teachers that go, well, I'd like to learn more about this. We're asking teachers. And so you know, I think teachers sometimes and parents underestimate their ability to affect change or to drive change by going, you know what, this is important. Mm -hmm. You know what, I don't have this thing and I need it. Or I, I think that this is a critical piece because it's sort of, to a certain extent, what superintendent's gonna go, no, we don't need more safety training. We don't care that much about safety. So I'm kind of challenging people in 2020 to to use the, the what's the word I want, the, not the authority, but to use the, the, the advantage that you have as being an agent of change and sort of push your administration, your leadership, your folks to give you the tools and the capacities that you need because they will. And even if they're not in a position to start making change, to start thinking critically about the things that are happening. Are the things that we are doing, are they strategic? Are they intentional? Or is it just, well, I don't know. That's what we're doing. So. Yeah. Well, there you so, have it. There you have it. 2020, who knows what we'll be saying a year from now, but I think it's really important to kind of look at 
you know, school safety doesn't change a lot, but yet it does. There's a lot going on. So stay with us in 2020 so we can help you stay current. So next week, I think we'll get back to more of a, a traditional format for, for what we talk about. But we were glad that you were able to join us this week to kind of kick things off and kick off the new year. And uh, as always, thanks to the folks who joined us live and were in the chat. So thank you. Thank you. Good to see you all. And uh, for those of us who those who are joining us only as the podcast. We hope that you had a good run or that you got all the laundry folded or whatever else or that your commute is going well, um, whatever else you're doing while you're listening to the podcast. Um, you can find this wherever you listen to podcasts on Apple podcast, uh, iTunes, that's iTunes. It's the same thing. Uh, Google play music on Stitcher. I don't even know anywhere you get a podcast, you can find this podcast. Also, if you're not a podcast person, you can listen to it directly on our website. Um, if you're joining us on video, hello, we'll wave to you. Um, you can always please be sure to subscribe to the channel. We have other videos and other resources that are also available on YouTube and anything that you're looking for. Um, if you have a question for us, if you're looking for resources, if you're looking for information, if you're looking to stuff that we alluded to, uh, past content, it's probably easiest to just find it directly at our website, which is www.eschoolsafety.org. And thanks again, and we look forward to seeing you next time.